0: Well, first of all, let me express my own uh, excitement to be here with you, to open up the word with you, my brothers and sisters. Uh, it is a deep honor for me to be with you. And uh, before I open up the word to, uh, with you, in honor of uh, Black History Month and the story that was just shared, and in honor of me being here and meeting some of you for the very first time, I want to share a short story about a famous prof- uh, pastor, Gardner C. Taylor, who was an important black preacher in the 20th century who is home with the Lord now. Gardner C. Taylor was the uh, pastor of Concord Baptist Church in New York City. And during one occasion, the story is told that the church was being renovated. And so it was being uh, uprooted, the, the, the stage was being changed, and Uh, The altar was being placed, or the the pulpit was being placed. And Gardner C. Taylor wanted to make sure that a particular plaque remained where it was. The plaque was from the King James, and the plaque read, We Shall See Jesus. And the reason why that plaque was important to Dr. Taylor was because he wanted to remind himself, as the preacher, and any other preacher who would step foot on that stage— and proclaim the word to the people. He wanted to remind himself and those preachers that the only reason they were there was to see Jesus. You all did not come to see me. You may have uh, great affections for Moody Bible Institute. You might have great affections for Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. We might have any, uh, all sorts of other connections together. But the reality is we all come here for one purpose, to see Jesus. And so my prayer is that the Lord might minister to us today, that he would speak a word to us through his preached word, that we might be able to say together, we want to see Jesus. So would you pray with me once more, because we need the Lord's help to be able to hear from him today. Lord, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to stand before you and to receive instruction from your word. May you minister to us today. May you guide us, I pray, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, God. Amen. Well, as a professor at Moody Bible Institute, one of my responsibilities, one that I very much enjoy, is meeting with students outside of the classroom. Now, during the week, students will sign up for office hours. Many of you have been students or are students, and so you know what that might be like. And during one week, a student came and signed up for some office hours. Now, on some, in, in some occasions, I'm able to ask the student, is there something you want to talk about specifically, just so that I know and am prepared for our conversation? Well, in this case, the student did not prepare me for our discussion. And so I was there waiting in my office. He came into my office, and he asked me a question. He said to me, Professor Rodriguez... Is God really good? I was taken aback by the question. And at first I thought, well, maybe the student is working on a paper, an apologetics paper or a theology paper, and uh, he's looking for some feedback, some answers from his professors to know how would you answer this question if someone asked it to you. Or maybe he was ministering to someone, a skeptic, who had asked this question, you know, the famous question, how can God actually be good when all of these bad things happen in the world? I thought, surely, yeah, that's that's why this student is asking me the question. But as we kept talking, I noticed that there was pain in his voice. This was not an abstract question for my student. It was real. Somehow, something had happened in his life where his own faith was shaken by real doubt. And here he was in my office asking the real honest question, but is God really good? We kept talking, and I found out that the reason why he was asking this question is because his family had experienced a real tragedy. turns out that a family member had been the victim of sexual assault. and He was sitting there, wondering, asking, is God really good? Have you ever asked that question? Now I know you are a member or a attendant of a really good church here. We have just sung songs that attest to our affirmation that God is good. Yes, He is good. You know the right answer. You know the answer that's expected. But have you ever wondered, have you ever found yourself asking, is God really good? In fact, the more we think about that question, the more we realize that it's not a matter of if you've asked it. It's When have you asked the question? When have you asked the question, is God really good? Maybe you asked the question when you applied yourself, applied for that job, and got another rejection. Or maybe you asked the question, like my student asked the question, when some real tragedy came and impacted your life, either in your life or in the life of someone that you love and care about. Maybe you were never actually convinced of God's goodness, and so you ask this question all the time. Is God really good? Around that time when I had this conversation with the student, our church was going through the book of Psalms. And so I was reading the Psalms. And I came to Psalm 34, that Psalm that Sam has just, has just read for us. And something interesting happened to me when I was reading that Psalm. There I was reading the scriptures. And all of a sudden, those feelings that I had felt, uh, that I had empathized with for my student, came sprinting to my side and started having a conversation with the Word of God. So here I was reading the Scriptures, and there was a dialogue taking place. And I want to invite you into that dialogue this morning. In fact, I want you to have the dialogue with me. As we hear this psalm, as we walk through David's own song, I want us to talk back to David, talk back to the Lord, and ask questions, really the question, But is God really good? Now, we won't read the whole Psalm, but I do want you to turn there, if you haven't already, to Psalm 34. Book of Psalms, number 34. now that most of you are there, did you notice something about that first line? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's quite a boast. It's quite a confident praise. To be honest with you, whenever I read the beginning of this psalm, this declarative statement, it makes me think It makes me feel that it is a kind of interruption to my everyday life. It's quite bold. In fact, as Sam was reading it, I imagined a single man standing right there in the front row of the balcony. All of us are sitting there, thinking about our own lives, reflecting on what's happening, what's going to happen for the rest of the week. And then a single man stands right there in the middle of this sanctuary, this place, and says, I will boast In the name of the Lord. He starts singing. All of us have our heads down. We're quiet in reflection. And here is this strange man singing in the middle of this room. And then he gestures to all of us saying, come on, sing with me. That's what David is doing in this song. He's singing this loud song, and he's inviting us to join with him. And my first reaction to David is to say, David, look, I'm glad you have a song in your heart, but just... Keep it down. No one wants to hear your song today. Keep it to yourself. That's my first reaction when I read that first line, that bold claim. But then David will not be satisfied. He keeps singing more. He keeps singing even louder. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will keep this song going without any end. Everywhere I go, every day I wake up, I will sing my song of praise to God. And then he keeps looking at us. And he invites us to sing along with him as if we know the words to the song. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. I want these words to echo, to be infectious, David says. Let the humble hear and be glad he sings. If we had to choose a genre for David's singing, we might say he's an old gospel singer. He expects a response from us. He says, this song is good news to the humble. Those who are in need of good news, listen because this is good news for you. Why is it good news? Apparently, David wants us to be glad in the encouragement of his words. David says, look, if anything is bothering you this morning, if anyone has come this morning suffering from a bout with sorrow, Join me in singing, he says. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David is inviting us, the assembly, the community of God, to join him in his praises. He is inviting us to sing at all times with him. Apparently, that's how praise works. It's better with a chorus of voices. And I guess we could do that. I guess we could join David in his singing. His words are simple enough. The melody is easy to follow. But you know what part gives me the most trouble? It's that part right there at the end of the first line. At all times. Not some of the time. Not when things are going well. Not when I haven't had any issues lately. It's at all times, continually. Can I, can you, sing God's praises at all times, continually? You know, to be honest with you, when I hear David inviting us to sing this song forever, our initial response should be, David, look, I might join you in your song." But first, you have to tell me. You have to prove to me, how do you know that God is so good? And David has a ready response. He tells us in verses four through seven, he says, Look, I can say that God is good because I experienced it firsthand. My life is a testimony to God's own goodness. He says, Look, I experienced it for myself. I have experienced and learned that God is for those who fear him, to rescue and protect them. David is speaking from personal experience here. At the very beginning of this psalm, some of you may have noticed that there is a note about this psalm. It says, this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Apparently, David wrote this psalm in response to something that happened in his life, or at least that's what we have remembered this psalm as. He wrote this when he was running for his life. You remember David's story. David was the anointed king of Israel. He was going to follow Saul's reign. Saul didn't like that very much. You remember, David was running for his life most of the time when Saul was alive. And it got so bad on one occasion that David runs into the land of the Philistines. Now, some of us know why that might be problematic. Others of us might need some remembering. The Philistines were the enemies of the people of God. And David was a famous person, not just because he was the anointed king of Israel, the, the enemies of the Philistines, but because David himself was the one who killed the hero of the Philistines. You remember the story of David and Goliath? What did the people respond when they, uh, how did the people respond when, they, when David had done this incredible act? Here's David! Saul kings his, kills his thousands. David kills his ten thousands. It was his claim to fame. David would have been known in this land of the Philistines. And yet the situation was so bad in Israel that he runs into this den of lions in Philistine. The king of the Philistines finds out that David is in their midst uh, by the way of advisors And David prays to God according to the psalm. Practically, he ends up pretending to be crazy, which in and of itself is a crazy scheme. I don't know if I would be convinced by David's act. And yet, by the grace of God, David escapes. The king sees David and says, Oh, this guy is worthless. Let him go. He escapes. Here, David was in great danger, and by the grace of God, this strange scheme works, and he is rescued not by the king, not by his own wit, but by the grace of God. I cried out to God, and he heard me. He answered me, David says. David had every right to be fearful. But God rescued him from his fears and delivered him from his troubles. You know, fears are terrors, things that make us anxious and threaten our well-being. These things make us afraid. They keep us awake. They terrorize us and hold us hostage. Troubles are just as abusive. These are those hardships, those antagonists that stand in our way when we're trying to move forward in life. Fears and troubles are our enemies. And apart from the Lord, we are defenseless against them. What do you fear? What makes you anxious? Most of us worry about our futures. Where will we go after school? What will we do? Will I be able to provide for myself? Is all of the hard work that I'm doing now worth it? Others of us are anxious about our families, about those loved ones who are growing older, or those young ones who we are trying to raise up, or those young ones that we've already raised up and may not be following the Lord. These things make us anxious. All of us know what anxiety feels like. Yet David says that the Lord will draw near to us in our anxiety. When God rescued him, David learned that God was for him. God was personally invested in his well-being. Look at the language of verse 7. This poor man cried. I'm sorry, verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. God knew his condition. He knew that David was poor, without food and running for his life. But notice what is missing at the end of this first line. David cried. To whom? It's almost as if David wants us to fill what is missing here. This poor man cried out to God. Before David can even direct his cry to God, God has already heard it. God is so personally for us that he knows our cry and meets us before we can even ask for help. Like the mother who can identify her child's cry and run to that child, God knows the cry of his child and is able to answer David. Is there anyone stronger than the Lord? Let me ask it another way. Is there anything more mighty than the right hand of God? Let whoever or whatever come against God's people. Why? For the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God is near to protect his people. When God's power surrounds you, you are protected on all sides. Whatever lies behind you or in front of you will not bring you down. David says to us, to this community, I bring to you what I learned firsthand. God is for those who fear him to rescue and protect his people. And before we can even object and say, well, that's good for you, David. David knows how we might respond and says to us, look, you can experience this for yourself too. David extends an invitation to us. He says, look for yourselves. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You will see for yourselves that, God, that in God is every good and perfect gift. Look at his invitation for us in verses 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David holds his own life for us to see as if it were a sampling of God's goodness. And then he offers the plate to be passed around. My experience can be your experience. Come, all who thirst and hunger, taste for yourselves. God is good, not in a philosophical sense, not if a just if I say it enough, I might believe it kind of way, but in a real, tangible kind of way. Those who take refuge in God are blessed because they know the goodness of God. You know, when I think about this passage, what it means that God is good. I think we might confuse some things and read, Life or God is sweet to those who take refuge in Him. I'm reminded of a book that I read about food. I love food. And you might have noticed, but I love food. But I read this book by a few chefs who say that good food is a combination of basic tastes. In other words, if a dish is just sweet, it's not a good dish. But if a dish is the combination of sweetness and, say, bitterness or saltiness, now we're talking about a good dish. Your taste buds respond to those kinds of combinations. Sometimes we think that life cannot be good if it is not just sweet. But the Lord, in his kindness and wisdom, knows that the good life is a life that includes some sweetness. But it will also include some bitterness, some saltiness. The Lord is good to those who take refuge in him. In those sweet moments, and yes, even in those bitter moments. In those moments that feel like there is salt in our wounds. Yes, the Lord is good to those who take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. This is an incredible promise. This is a promise that you and I will be lacking in nothing. And yet when I look into my own life, When I check my own inventory, my own assessment of how things are, I often find that I'm lacking for so much. But perhaps those things that I think I'm lacking are things that I don't actually need. The Lord will supply every actual need. And yet I find myself, I find I am convincing myself that I lack more things when in fact those are wants. Those are just things that I desire. What does your heart long for? What do you most desire? If your heart, if your affections are first and foremost directed toward God, your heart will always be full. You could be sick, you could be lonely, you could even be hungry, but when you fear the Lord, David says, you will be satisfied in whatever God has for you. He will be enough. But if your heart is first and foremost directed toward other things, if you have other desires that are first in your mind, in your heart, a desire for high status, a desire to be approved or valued, you will be like a young lion, desiring what you do not have, hungry for what is unattainable, and you will never be satisfied. When you get what you want, another want fills its place. And when you do not get what you want, that disappointment will cause a deep rumbling in your stomach, like the belly of a starving child. And it will feel like it will be the end of you. But those who seek the Lord seek a good and gracious God. We will not lack for anything. We will not be like the lions who are famished and weak and hungry. We are the children of God, and whether the land is plentiful or barren, God's children children will have all that they need when they have God. Now in verses 11 on, David reminds us of what kind of life can be available for us. It's the good life, a life that not only finds satisfaction in God, but also responds in obedience to God. That is the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of, of living in accordance with what God desires for you. When you pursue God, when God is all that you desire, what you most desire rather, that love and that desire will transform even your very being, your very action As a result, you will pursue God. The things of the Lord, the way of the Lord will become that much more attractive to you. That is what David tells us in those verses. For the sake of time, let me continue on in the passage. Because David says to us that, yes, all of us want to experience the good life, a flourishing life, life as it was truly meant to be. And he says, if you want to experience the good life, if you want a flourishing life, then fear the Lord. Fear the Lord because true blessing and goodness are only found with God. But as he tells that to us, we find ourselves asking another question. We might have been lured by David and saying, okay, David, I see what you mean. But then we say, wait a minute, David, wait a minute okay, you want me to be full on God. You want me to set God as my highest desire. You want me to live my life out of fear of the Lord, out of pursuing God. But if that's true, why is the Christian still someone who suffers? I know many people who fear God. I know many people who who love God, who pursue God as their number one desire, and yet they still suffer. And David says to us, yes, it is true. That while real blessing belongs to those who fear the Lord, those who are blessed still suffer. And yet there is something about the way of the future or the way of the Lord that projects out to the future that we must keep in mind. David says, the one who believes God also has hope in what will be. You see, in verses 15 on, he says, the Lord looks on those who are righteous, those who pursue him. But the Lord does not cast a blind eye to those who are unrighteous, those who are wicked. The reality is, for those of us who are faithful to God, those of us who trust God, we are trusting In a blessed hope, our immediate circumstances are not all that there are, but we are looking forward to something that will be. In the end, the memory of the wicked will be wiped away. Some of you might need to hear that today who have been hurt or crushed by some wicked actions. It may have been long ago, it may have been recently. And you think you've gotten over it, you think you've moved on, and then sometimes something will trigger that memory, and all of those feelings will come rushing back to you. Friends, the hope of the righteous is that one day, even the memory of that wickedness will be wiped away. That's a blessed hope. David continues on at the end of this psalm, and he says to us that the righteous Know that God is good, because while they may be hurt, while they may be pressed by difficult circumstances, the Lord will not allow the body to decay. He will not let that person be crushed. Friends, those who pursue God have this blessed assurance that those difficult circumstances, those painful experiences will not be the end of us. Now again, you might say to yourself, but how do I really know? How can I be sure of it? Well, it's striking that the end of this psalm is picked up again in the Gospel of John. Many are their afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of awe. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. The Gospel of John remembers that verse. When it speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered, who was rejected, who was raised up on the cross for you and I, and this Jesus was put to death. But you and I know very well that this death would not be permanent. It would not be the end, because on the third day after being buried... Our Jesus rose from the dead. How do we know that God is good? Yes, we know because of David's experience. But we especially know because Jesus, being himself God, came and lived on this earth, suffered, was rejected, was put on a cross for you and I, and died for our sins as a statement of God's love for us, but that was not the end. We know that God is good and that our hope is sure. Because on that third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How do we know that God is good? We know because he is good to his people. He was good to the Messiah, the Father was. And as we place our hope in him, we can also experience the goodness of God. When we were sitting there, my student and I, wondering about this question, is God really good? We didn't have a lot of answers. We didn't know how to rationalize the very difficult experience that he and his family had faced. The only thing we had was the knowledge of our suffering Savior, he who can empathize with our pain, but he who conquered sin and death by his powerful right hand, our suffering Savior points the way, gives us hope, gives us comfort. If you are going through some kind of trouble this morning, if you find yourself asking whether God is good, look to the assurance in Jesus. Is God really good? Yes. He is good to those who fear him. So praise him all the time for his goodness. At all times, sing a song of praise as if there were a choir singing in your chest. For God is good. Let's pray. God, you are truly good. Many of us this morning might be reflecting on some very difficult circumstances. I ask, Lord, that you would lead us by our hands. You would stand beside us. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort us. You would remind us of the hope that no one and nothing can take away from us. That hope that is in you, Jesus. We thank you and we love you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our blessed assurance. Amen.